It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first podcast of the Don Purdom Show. I am excited to have you with us today. And, you know, this is a very foundational opening monologue for me. I've been thinking a lot lately about all of the dynamics that are happening in our country. Where did it come from? Why is it happening? Why does it seem that there's total anarchy and chaos everywhere we go? Now, yeah, I mean, I I might be exaggerating that a little bit, but doesn't it seem like, at least in the political arena, that everything is just an upheaval? People can't agree on anything, can't gather consensus. Matter of fact, it seems that all they want to do is tear each other down, and who does it end up benefiting and who does it hurt? Well, the politicians obviously believe it benefits them, and ultimately, it hurts all of us. And really the reason why I'm starting this podcast and this journey, I recently got accepted into George Washington University where I'm going to be studying for a master's degree in political management. And I have been giving over the years a lot of thought to this. What are the real roots of all of the things that are going on? And I have to be frank, in my study of history, I love early American history. When I was at Dallas Theological Seminary, I spent a lot of time with... um, with the faculty there, learning and really trying to understand early American history from about 1675 to, say, 1810, 1820. And it is a fascinating period that really all of the things that we struggled with then are many of the same things that we're struggling with now. As much as things change, some things always stay the same, right? But really the question for me is when we look at contemporary American culture and politics. What is driving everything? I was having a conversation with my son yesterday morning, and actually I've got two sons. One's an adult and the other's in high school. And we spent an incredible amount of time talking about what's going on in our world. What are the things that are happening in your life and what are the things you're perceiving about your future? What are the things in your future that you want? What do you not want? What do you like? What do you not like? What are you afraid of? What are you hopeful about? And as these conversations have gone on over the years, one of the things that has really struck me is a whole idea that the whole foundation of all of our problems that we have today are rooted in a lack of morals and ethics. I was telling my son just the other day, if you want to know the root of a man or a woman, if you want to know what they're going to do, you don't just have to look at what they say, but you have to look at what are they saying and trying to discern what's behind what what they are saying, and then what do they do? And then how does what they do translate back to what they said? Was their message in alignment with what they did or not? And then ultimately you can start to discern what the true ethic and moral behind their decision making is. And when we look at Republicans and Democrats today, we can clearly see the moral and ethical boundaries in the lines. 
I'm not saying that as a comparison of one to another. Obviously, I'm a conservative Republican. But I look at the Democrat Party and I see so much vitriol. We've never seen anything like this before. Not in the media, not in the Democrat Party, not even at the state levels. Because what's happening at the national is the state level, right? I mean, the states are just reflecting what's going on in the bigger picture across the board. I mean, parties are what rules now, not a federal government or states. And I've got to say, George Washington ruled vehemently against this. I mean, Washington came out in his farewell address and he warned explicitly against political parties because what he said would happen is people would become beholden to party over country. It's a, it's a very dangerous road. You see, as a businessman, I mean, I, I owned a number of businesses since 2000, well, I'm going to say 2004. And I can see that in every instance where there was a problem or strife or an issue that came up, it was because there was a lack of a moral or ethic attached to it. I can see where there were moments that even my own morals or ethics got me in trouble, just being completely honest about it. Um, there are things in my own life over the years I've had to examine. Why did I make this decision? Why did I do that? What, well, what led me to this outcome or this result? And the fact of the matter is, let's, let's take a look at this. I mean, this is really a big deal because since the 1960s, with the free love, drugs, you know, rock and roll, sex, all of this good stuff, we've seen a precipitous decline in people actually being willing to do the right thing because their motive was maybe at that time those issues. There was that rebellion against the sternness, the rigidness, the desire to... Um, have a have strong morals and values of the nuclear family of the 1940s and 50s and in the 60s there's kind of this rebellion against it but this rebellion barrel rolls into the 70s and the 80s and we see just in different cities even crime like we hadn't seen before we saw loosening of morals as it related to sexuality and pornography and and government corruption. Watergate wasn't necessarily a whole issue of corruption. Not that there wasn't corruption, but it was an issue of a lack of telling the truth. Nine people went to jail for breaking the law. President Clinton did not get impeached because of what the original investigation was that was started. The ultimate outcome of the special prosecutor, Ken Starr, at that time in the 1990s was this whole rabbit trail of events that led into a, sexual, a set of sexual encounters in the White House, in the Oval Office, with the young intern, Monica Lewinsky. And he lied about having a sexual relationship. And then he lied under oath, which is what led to his impeachment by the House of Representatives. Now, the Senate didn't vote to confirm. And, you know, that was probably a wise choice. The country didn't need to go through that. The country didn't need to um, have a president removed from office over lying about a sex scandal. But here's the thing. The sex scandal's rooted in a moral or an ethic. And the lie and the fear of being caught, exposed, the consequence of that probably led to a bigger consequence. It's, again, kind of back to my kids, right? When they were little, I always used to tell them, 
If you don't tell me the truth and I have to find out another way, the consequence is going to be bigger on you than if you just tell me the truth now. That doesn't mean you're going to like the consequence now, but it means it probably will not be anywhere near as severe as if you lie and you get caught in the lie. Morals and ethics are a really, really big problem. And today, all our politics are doing is reflecting the morals, the values, and the ethics of society as a whole. That's all, it, all it's doing. It, it, there's no way to change the conversation from we the people to them because they are a reflection of us. And they only do what we allow them to get away with. So at the end of the day, we have a big problem on our hands. And I want to go through and I want to just talk about a couple of systematic issues or a couple of things that are going on whereby we can actually see this playing itself out, this lack of moral or ethics and how it's causing chaos and anarchy, not just in our politics, but throughout our whole society, in the business world, in families' lives, um, at the very core root of it. This weekend, I mean, this, I don't know about you, but this terrifies me that this is going on. What we're seeing in the Democrat Party in the Resist Trump movement is an entire abandonment of morals and ethics. See, it's not enough to just not agree with him. It's not enough to say that we're going to fight his agenda, but we have to create stories and underlining theories as to why he should be immediately removed from office. We tend to think that there was this whole movement that was created around the whole video of Trump when he talked about in the in the in in the NBC news show <laughs> 10 years ago or so, uh, that very crude comment about women and about what celebrities can do to women that they'll let them do. And he used very vulgar terms for that. And I'm not saying that was right. That was absolutely wrong of him to do. Fortunately, he said the same thing. And I would like to think that he's a different person than he was then. Um, everyone should be given the benefit of the doubt, I believe, until they keep repeating the pattern over and over after they've gotten caught and after they've apologized. That's just my opinion. Some people will disagree with that. But we all make bad decisions. There's none of us that are perfect. Nonetheless, this whole movement came out of that and then tying it into all of this other stuff like the Muslim ban and other things that the president said on the campaign trail that people just decided they didn't like him especially ultra-liberals. But, but I got news for you folks. It wouldn't have mattered who it was. If it had been Marco Rubio or if it had been um, Ted Cruz, it, it doesn't matter. There would have been a, a all-out war on that person. So I think we have to get our heads out of the idea that this is unique to Trump because it's not. This would have happened no matter what because these extremist liberals are so angry that the country has rejected them that they are lashing out. And it's not the first time. We saw this in the, I believe it was the late 60s under Ronald Reagan when he was the governor of California. And he had to confront, confront professors in his office who had to, he had to scold them and tell them, you should know better. You're an adult. You should know better for what you're doing on the campus of Berkeley, that you're instigating young people, that you're the root of the cause of this violence, and you should stop it now. This must end. 
And it got so bad that Governor Reagan had to call in the National Guard to get it under control. They did not like that governor because he was a conservative. It happened to President Reagan again early on in his term. I think if you go back and you look in the the first two years of his presidency in 1980 and 81, you will see a lot of similarities to what's going on with this president. There was political jockeying and chaos that they were trying to bring about, but it was different at that time because there was still a moral or an ethic that it's the office of the presidency and he respect it. So it only went so far. But there are some parallels that, that exist there. You saw it under George W. Bush during the Iraq War. They were calling him every name in the book. They called him a warmongerer. They called him a criminal, a war criminal. They tried to do all kinds of stuff. There were talks of impeachment against George W. Bush. They, if they could defame him in any way possible, they did. Now today, people are going to say, well, look what the Republicans did to President Obama. Now what did they do? Did they ever talk about impeachment? Did they ever talk about removing him from office? Did they say that they didn't agree with him? Absolutely. Absolutely. Conservatives stood up and said, we don't agree with your policies. We think you're going too far. And we have every desire or attempt possible to ensure that you're a one-term president. That this chaos does not persist across the government. And eight years later, look where we're at. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. I, I mean, well, I mean, let's just talk about it now. Look at some of the ethics and moral problems that the president had. And Hillary Clinton along with him. I mean, let's think about this. Under their term, the pres- President Obama left office six months ago. And in doing so, well, five months ago. But in doing so, he claimed during the transition period, I had a scandalous free presidency. Really? What about this little thing called Fast and Furious, where they were giving military arms to drug cartels across the border? And then those drug cartels were using it to do awful things. They were shooting those weapons across the Rio Grande into El Paso, and there were people that were, bullets were flying on the, right next to their baby strollers into the ground. There are people that got killed by random bullets from those folks. How about the human trafficking that came out of all of that? There was virtually no investigation against Fast and Furious. I think the only people driving that conversation were conservatives and Fox News. But what went on there should have been heavily investigated and looked into. How about the IRS scandal, where the IRS was intentionally blocking conservatives from being able to become nonprofit activists the same way that liberals are? Fortunately, once the Republicans got control of the Congress, at least in the House of Representatives, there were hearings, and it has been conclusively determined that there was something seriously wrong going on in the IRS. American citizens were actually targeted by the IRS because of their political views, not because they had broken the law or not paid their taxes or done anything wrong. Those are some serious, serious issues. What about Benghazi? Now, I'm not going to claim to be an expert in all of this just from watching the news, 
But I think it is obvious to say that it wasn't a video that prompted a spontaneous attack on our embassy in Benghazi, Libya. Why did the President and the Secretary of State insist on trying to cover it up, on trying to make it something that it wasn't? What was the moral and the ethic behind lying about it? And what about what's going on right now in Iran? We have given how many billions of dollars to a rogue nation that is the top sponsor of terrorism in the world, and they are still calling for the annihilation of both the United States of America and Iran. Unbelievable. As President Trump yesterday was in Saudi Arabia and he's forming an alliance of Muslim nations to say, let's end this terrorism. Some are calling it like the NATO of the Middle East. Huh, pretty good idea, I think, if this is able to happen and if these nations get on board with it and do what they say they're going to do. Always some questions. But let's go back to the morals and ethics. That's, that's just President Obama and Hillary Clinton, right? Maybe a little bit of John Kerry mixed in there as Secretary of State. But let's look at what's actually going on today in the Democrat Party. There was just, just this weekend a Democratic convention in California. I think it was their head, you know, California Democratic Annual Convention. And the chairperson of it used vulgar language to go after the President of the United States. These people are so angry and so vile. And we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, what is it they're really angry at? I mean, we've got to really ask these questions. What is it they're really angry about? What is the truth behind all of this? But he stood up. And they, he got the whole crowd chanting with two middle fingers up in the air, F you, Donald Trump. Over and over and over. Is that really appropriate? I mean, how is this bringing the country together? How is it, how do, is there not a better way to say we don't agree with the president than to get nasty and vulgar and angry? Do they really think this is going to help their cause? These activists are out of control. It's sad. It's really sad. There was an article on Friday, I believe, in the Wall Street uh, in the Wall Street Journal, and its title was "Connecticut Connecticut Nation's Wealthiest State May Be Tapped Out on Taxing the Rich." <laughs> They are taxing the rich so hard in the state of Connecticut that it's ruining their state. The wealthy are leaving the state. They're tired of paying the ta these outrageous taxes. And see, this is what happens, folks. When liberal policies are, we'll tax the rich to pay for the poor, which is not necessarily true, folks. There's something else going on in there. There's a moral and ethic of corruption involved in this. We've seen this over and over again. And you know, they can't pay their bills in the state of Connecticut. Even Governor Malloy's personal staff are telling him we cannot go back to that well. That well is tapped out. Companies are leaving the state at alarming rates. Individuals are leaving the state at alarming rates. I mean, we, my wife, her best, one of her best friends still lives in Connecticut, and she's telling my wife, you'd be shocked at the number of, of schools that are actually closing because they don't have students for them anymore. 
people are leaving the state. And here's the scary part, and we see this in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm going to talk about that in just a second as well, where I live. But one of the things that we're seeing in, across these states and in Connecticut is that as the wealthy leave, guess who stays? And now all of these social welfare programs that they've created for them, they can't afford. And they're having to slash these programs from the budget. And now it's going to cost people votes. And here is the ultimate problem with the moral or ethic of all of this. The ultimate problem is, is that, and this is a comparison uh, between big government liberalism and small government conservatism. If you believe that the ultimate root of this is that what we should be doing is helping people get a leg up, don't... Don't give them a handout. Give them a leg up. Help them find and discover their dreams and empower them to go live their dreams. But no. What big government liberalism does is it traps people in their prison. It says to them, if this is what you, if, this, if we're going to help you, then you can only make so much money or no money. We're going to tell you where you can live through by controlling what we give you right so it becomes an economic issue if you only got so much money you can only live in so many places that are willing to get, let you live there for that amount of money we're going to tell you what you can eat or how much money we'll give you to eat through these snap programs and other things or we're going to tell you um, what kind of health care you can get and what you can't get I wish I could remember where I heard the quote from but I, I recently read a quote um Gosh, I, rem I wish I could, I'll have to find that later for you folks. But it was something along the lines of, if you ultimately want to control people, you control their health care. Think about where we're headed. Now, what is the morals behind all of this? My moral is, I'd rather see people get opportunities to live their dreams. And if I'm going to invest my tax dollars into programs, I want to make sure that those programs are helping people live their dreams, not trapping them in their prison. These states are in so much debt that the crisis is coming that only God knows what's actually going to happen. Here in the state of Pennsylvania, for example, we're having a crisis where we're going to have a $3 billion deficit in the next couple of years. And I've talked to a couple of our local politicians. By the way, I do expect to have a number of people on the show in the near future um, from some local politicians, perhaps a couple of congressmen or national politicians, think tanks, nonprofits, etc. Now, if you step back and think about this, the state of Pennsylvania is going to have a $3 billion deficit in the next couple of years, and there's some hard decisions that are going to have to be made because the state legislators have just continued to kick that can down the road, just like the federal government does. But unlike the federal government. The states can't just arbitrarily say, well, we're just going to take on the debt and increase our deficits. They can't. They have to balance their budgets. They're not a nation. They're a state. So only the federal government can do that under the Constitution. So here's, here's the problem. In the state of Pennsylvania, what we're seeing is, is that because the state is taxing businesses so heavily, a lot of businesses are leaving the state. 
Big businesses, small businesses, you name it. And they're going for sunnier pastures. This is what happens, folks. It even happens on the national level. Pfizer moved their corporate headquarters from Connecticut in the United States to a, a Scandinavian country because the taxes are significantly lower. Trillions of dollars that were made overseas by big companies like Apple and Microsoft and Google and Boeing and whoever, right? All those big companies that have operations overseas, they're keeping their money overseas and not bringing it back into the United States because they don't want to be double taxed on that money, And number one. And then number two, the taxes here are so high. Most countries are 10 to 12% taxes, 15% at the most. We're 35% on corporate taxes. So what do you think those companies are going to do with that money? Okay, I digress, but kind of back to the conversation in the state of Pennsylvania, right? So, Companies are leaving the state, and they're going to states that have better environments for them to increase their profits and provide for people and for the owners of these companies to live their dreams. So when these young students go to college, and they graduate college and there's no jobs, and because they live in the state, were raised in the state, they get a tuition break compared to out-of-state tuition, right? Well, what happens to those dollars being invested back into our state? They're gone. That money's gone because those students are leaving the state for jobs that are not here. And then the third problem is, is the elderly. The middle class, upper middle class, and wealthy elderly are leaving the state for southern states that are, A, warmer, but it's got not as much to do with the warmth as it does the cost of living. They have to make their money stretch. They need to be able to live their dreams in retirement. They can't do that here because they're being impacted. So what does that leave behind? We've had a net loss of 7,000 people, I believe, last year out of the state. That A net loss. We've lost 7,000 people. When you net how many people are coming in, how many are going out, we've netted out a loss of 7,000. And that number every year continues to grow. So what that's doing is, is the unfortunate part of a lot of the elderly, elderly that are left behind is they're using the social service programs that the state has available for them. Uh, nobody's faulting them for that. We're not, I'm, not, I'm certainly not suggesting they shouldn't. The state's made that available. But you've lost the funding mechanisms for that. The businesses are gone. The young people are leaving for jobs in, sunny, in, in sunnier places. The middle to upper middle class wealthy elderly are leaving. Who does that leave behind? That's leaving behind the poor elderly. Or just the poor. <laughs> Doesn't even have to be elderly, right? And so what is that doing to these deficits in the state? It's exploding them. This is an effect that big government liberal thinking has had on the practical outcomes of what's going on in the state. And you're seeing this playing out in other states, New Jersey, Illinois. There are many others, right? By the way, if you want an infographic comparison, you can go to donaldperdom.com and get a copy of that infographic that actually gives a, a practical, real-life illustration of the impact of big government versus small government. I, that would be really, really helpful to you, I'm sure. Let's talk for just, just a moment. Let's talk about the lies about the Trump ban. What is the real moral behind that? The, yes, the president called in the campaign for a ban on all Muslims. But that was the campaign. Once he wrote the executive order, it was not all Muslims. 
that was never going to be practical. Most people knew that was rhetoric. Um, I don't want to justify his statements from the campaign, but the fact of the matter is, the motive he has behind it is good. It's to say, you know what, let's just say that 5% of all Muslims coming into the United States are terrorists. That leaves 95% who are not, but that 5% can cause an awful lot of damage and havoc. Look at 911. It was only 11, 10, 11 people, I think, 12 people, something like that. Look at the damage that they caused. Not only did 3,000 people die, and it was the largest loss of life in the, in, on U.S. territory in an act of war in, in American history, but it also cost billions and billions and billions of dollars in losses. One of the goals of Al-Qaeda at that time, and I'm sure it still is, is to cripple us economically because if they can cripple us economically, we can't do anything in the world. They get free reign and control, and we are the only thing standing between them and their messes, between them and the beheadings, between them and the mass killings. So let's think about this. The president signs an executive order and he wants to ban Muslims for a temporary period of time to evaluate a process by which they could come here legally. It's not a permanent ban. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is these are coming from countries that don't have a means of telling us who these folks are. There's no, there's no records, no birth certificates, no employment history, no, no nothing. There is nothing that they have to tell us anything about who they are. And we're just free willing and letting them come on in. Just take over. Have at it. We'd love to have you. In the meantime, you've got things going on in France and England that are appalling. There are people being murdered in nightclubs, in the streets, and all kinds of stuff's going on in different parts of Europe. Uh, Germany has had major civil unrest. There have been allegations and stories of women being raped violently by some of these men that are coming from another country and another culture, from war-torn areas, and these people are not ready to come into civilized countries like, like these democracies in Europe or the United States. What the president did was common sense. But let me tell you, folks, the legislation in Seattle or not legislation, excuse me, the lawsuit in Seattle, the stuff going on in the Ninth Circuit, has done nothing but undermine the authority of the president, and under the law, he is allowed to determine at his discretion who can and cannot come into this country. And it has been done a lot of times. It was done in World War II. It was done in Korea. It was done, it was done as far back as Thomas Jefferson. Okay? So what is the real moral outrage? What is the real moral outrage behind all these Russian talks and impeachment talks? Interesting note on that subject. Kind of another scary conversation. But it's coming out right now that it may not have been Russia at all. It could have been this guy named Seth Rich, who is a Democrat operative in Washington, D.C. Apparently, his laptop has been discovered. This guy was murdered. 
They claimed he was murdered in a robbery. But his wallet wasn't stolen and nothing in his wallet was stolen and his watches or whatever jewelry he had on him were not taken. That doesn't sound like a robbery to me, does it to you? So when we sit back and we, we kind of evaluate this one, I mean, what's really going on here? Now the computer, that it was his computer, supposedly there are stories. I am not able to collaborate them yet, but again, I've seen some stories out there in, uh, in some media. I think Wall Street Journal's one of them that came out and said, here this guy is. All of the emails that WikiLeaks distributed that are being blamed on the Russians were on his computer. And there's a piece out today uh, that has just been brought out by a hacker that was supposedly working with him. Um, let me see real quick. I'm going to find this article. Here we go. Uh, Kim.bomb, right? Um, Saturday, it says, quote, Saturday, an anonymous person who works in Washington, Washington D.C. alleged on four channels and a political subgroup that high-ranking current and former Democratic Party officials are terrified of the Seth Rich murder investigation. Why? Because those emails that were sent to WikiLinks are on his computer. And Kim.com claims that he knows for a fact that Seth Rich was the WikiLeaks source and was the person who was involved. If this works itself out, that this is the truth, this is a major bombshell. This, this is just unbelievable if it's true. So I'm going to reserve any more judgment other than to state that that's out there now. This was put out today by the Gateway Pundit at thegatewaypundit.com. So what's the real issues here? What's really going on? Well, I'm going to tell you. Here's my thoughts on it. I put a video on Facebook on Friday and I talked about this. What I think is happening is that the liberals and the progressives see Trump, or really any conservative, as a traitor. But a traitor to what? Well, ultimately, they're not a traitor to our country. They're a traitor to the liberal progressive agenda. In particular, globalism. These folks have made so much money off of globalism at the expense of you, the American citizen. Open borders. Think about, I think the President Trump was right when he said a country without borders is no longer a country. And now we've just got open borders. Just come on over. And these people are reintroducing diseases that have long been eradicated in the United States. Measles is one of them. I, I've read recently there are a couple of others, but, you know, there are some stories out there about children getting measles in elementary schools from these illegal immigrants that are here. Folks, we're not anti-immigrant. We're just get, come the right way so we can ensure the public health and safety of our citizens, one, and two, that you're able to actually contribute to our country. Not just be a leech. If you think about illegal immigration and the cost on our country, the trillions of dollars we've spent in health care, in food, in clothing, in shelter, in all kinds of ways for illegal immigrants, education, it's not fair to you, the American citizen who pays your taxes, who works hard, who's trying to figure out how to live your dream and get what you want. And then finally, 
President Trump and the conservative movement is, is a traitor to power and money. Because if the president does what he says he wants to do and returns power back to us, the people, who, folks, I, I, I don't want you to be naive about this. You never lost the power, quite frankly. If we, the people, made ourselves known what our wishes were to the politicians, they will get in line and no lobbyist will be able to stop it. No amount of money will be able to, to stop it. At the end of the day, our form of government was designed by our founders to be given to one generation to another that was educated and informed about our system of government and how it works, and then you would be an involved citizenry. And if you're not involved, if you don't know the issues, if you don't educate yourself, if you don't take the time to learn what's going on, then... It is we, the people, who suffer for that because we will re-elect politicians who will tell us one thing but do another. They say one thing, but they mean something different. And folks, that at the end of the day is what this podcast is about. It's about exposing what is it that they're really saying and what is it they really are doing and what do they mean when they say it. President Trump is a traitor to the liberal progressive agenda. That's what they mean. That's why they really want to impeach him. They're in the way, or he is in the way, of globalism, open borders, power, and money. See, he doesn't need the money because he already has it. He's a billionaire, multi-billionaire. Money is not what motivates him. He already had power because he had the money. That doesn't motivate him. And an understanding of Trump means to understand a New Yorker. New Yorkers are not like people from Alabama or Mississippi or Texas or California or Pennsylvania. They're a different kind of person in a good way many times. They say what's on their minds. They don't mince words. If you want to understand what the president's saying, understand where he comes from. All right, folks. So what do we do with all of this information today? That's a lot for our first podcast, don't you think? I mean, that we're already at 37 minutes in, and holy moly, we covered a lot of ground. We're covering the grounds of morals and ethics. If you want to know who a person is, just learn to identify what their moral and their ethic is. You learn their morals and ethics, and you'll have everything you need to know about them. And you can even begin to anticipate their behavior. Because I can tell you right now that what's coming is about to unravel the whole Democratic Party. Because their moral and ethics says, we need globalism, we need open borders, we must have power and money. And we will do anything to get it. And if that means lying about Russians and destroying a relationship with a foreign power, whether they're good or bad or we like them or not, has nothing to do with that part of the conversation at this moment. It's just the moral and the ethic behind. We are going to use whatever tool we think will give us the best advantage to accomplish our goal. And if that means destroying a president who's duly elected by the people of this country at the expense of another country then so be it. Folks, you remember what I said about the conversation I had with my kids when they were young? If you tell, the, if you tell a lie, it will be more painful than the truth. The truth is that the American people have rejected globalism 
and open borders and power and money at the expense of what's best for our country. The truth is that if the liberal Democrats don't get their act together, they will be exposed for the frauds that they are. If this is true, that Seth Rich was the inside operative who gave all of those emails over to WikiLeaks and it was not the Russians, this will, for decades, decades, significantly harm the liberal progressive movement and the Democrat Party. And I'm going to be honest with you, I hope that's exactly what happens. I hope they're exposed for the frauds that they are, for the lies that they get on TV every day and tell to try to demean not just the President of the United States, but you, the people who voted for them. The media will be once and for all exposed. So I'd love to know what you think. If you're on the website at donaldperdom.com, excuse me, it's at donaldperdom.com, leave me a comment in the comment sections below. Let's engage and interact. Let's converse about it. I'd love to know your opinions and your thoughts. You may think that everything I said is a load of garbage. You may hate everything I said today. I still want to know what you think. So log over there, or log on over at donaldperdom.com. Find the article uh, from today's podcast. It is May 22nd, 2017. Let's talk about it. And also, this program is listener-supported. So I would really, really appreciate it if you would, in the sidebar of the homepage or on any blog page, find the donate button. Leave a small gift. I think the average gift is about 15 bucks, but you can leave as much as you want, as little or as much. But if you like what we're talking, what I'm talking about, support me and help me grow this message. Help me expose the morals and the ethics of what our politicians are saying versus what they're doing and how they're matching up or not matching up with it. Help me. Give a small gift today, and that will help me be able to continue to grow and expand this audience so that we can talk to more people uniquely about why conservatism is the better option to unleashing the opportunity for every American to live their God-given dream as opposed to trapping them in their own government prison. All right, that's it for today's podcast. I'm looking forward to tomorrow's. In the meantime, uh, engage with me, and I look forward to growing this audience with you. Please share it over all over social media if you like what we had to say today, and uh, I'll look forward to interacting with you tomorrow. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.